KHEN is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. KHEN and Little Red Hen. Just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, Forrest Whitman, and uh, we want to welcome you to our to our caboose here, KN 106.9 on your FM dial or podcast any day or especially our iTunes listeners. Welcome. We I just talked to an iTunes tunes listener coming out of Burma. That's another conversation we could have. So that iTunes is really fun. Anyway, so, well, we hope everybody will relax, sit down in the old caboose, take a seat there by the Take a seat there by the coal stove so you can keep your feet warm. Or, you know, it's a caboose. You can climb up into the angel seat if you want to and watch the scenery as, you know, as it rolls by. This is a very special morning. We have with us James Sobey, who is, as far as I know, the president of everything. (laughs) He's the president of Colorail, Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers, and we'll say a little more about how to join that in a few minutes. And also the um, the, the um, Southwest Chief and Front Range Rail Commission, which has the responsibility of figuring out how to spend a lot of money to get Front Range mail to get Rail together, and also to save our Southwest Chief, my favorite train. And so we really want to thank uh, James for taking time out of his busy, busy schedule to uh, to be interviewed and chat with us. So, good morning, Jim. How are you? Uh, doing fine, Forrest. Great to be with you. Great. Well, and could we start with a couple questions, if that's all right? Or would sure. you have anything you want to say? Okay. Number one, have we really saved the Southwest Chief? No, not uh, completely. We're about ninety nine percent there. Uh, We've got more track to get repaired in Kansas and Colorado. The last segment that will bump that train up, uh, at least that route up to passenger speed, you know, 80 miles an hour, 79 miles an hour. Uh, But we still have the segment in New Mexico that rides on old rail, still serviceable, I might add. But the signaling dates back, you know, many, many decades. And the rail is, you know, getting more and more worn as time passes. Luckily, the climate down there protects the rail, and the BNSF and Amtrak have been putting new ties in in certain areas to keep it serviceable. 
But the train, as you probably know, uh, as, a, as a fan of the Southwest Chief, still runs a little bit slowly down through New Mexico. It would be very nice if it could run at a higher speed. But it doesn't. But it still makes it to L.A. So, you know, we're happy. We've raised, you know this for us, we've raised something like $103 million combined, state, federal, my organization, Colorado, and uh, local communities along the route to get that track improved. We're hoping to do the last, I can't remember now, I think it's something like 27 miles of track in Kansas and Colorado, uh, turn that into welded rail, and that will take care of the improvements for Kansas and Colorado as far as we know. By the way, we've also supported the installation of positive train control for safety on that route in Kansas and Colorado because that route is shared with freight traffic. Uh-huh. Now, backing up just a minute, um, here's somebody from a um, listener uh, from a small town in northern New Mexico. Small towns in northern New Mexico depend very much on rail travel, particularly for uh, persons who are handicapped. Um, I assume both New Mexico senators know this to be the case or that our senators don't do. Is that out there? I know it was part of your testimony at one point. Yeah, no, uh, former Senator Udall and Senator Heinrich have been uh, outstanding supporters of the Southwest Chief from New Mexico. And I can't imagine that we don't have equally strong support now. Uh, we also, by the way, get great support from the Republican senators in Kansas. And we got great support from our former Republican senator here in Colorado, Cory Gardner. And now we're expecting the same support. I did have a chance to speak with Senator Hickenlooper, and he said, uh, quote, unquote, we're on the same page on this. So I'm assuming Forrest, that means yeah. he's as strong a supporter as, uh, as his former, as our former senator was. So, yeah, I think we're in great shape uh, in the Senate. We get we get support from Senator Durbin in Illinois. We get support from a senator in Arizona whose name escapes me offhand. The senators in California have supported us. All eight states along the route have showed great support for this train. So and, and your listener is correct. When we first started the campaign to save this train in 2011, uh, and we went to our legislature in Colorado, uh, had a hearing and got a resolution passed in both the Senate and the House of Colorado supporting maintaining this train. And we had witnesses testify to the effect that this train is extremely important to those who have to travel, those who are disabled and those who need medical services uh, elsewhere from their hometown along the route. So it's an important issue. It's an important issue for all the Amtrak trains, particularly the Western long distance trains that serve rural communities. That's and I know, and I, I, you're amazingly good testimony. I, I thought really pointed that out. And I'm looking here, I wish I'd find it earlier. All right, she lives, she lives just outside of Las Vegas. She sure. doesn't mean Nevada. She means Las Vegas, New Mexico. Right. Yeah. Uh, and her daughter can give her a ride as far as the train station, but really not practically any further. So there's there's a real life example of somebody who uh, depends on the chief and right. who and who listens, actually listens to this radio show. Well, that's kind of fun to know. 
But anyway, well, all right. Well, I guess we're dealing with that question then. Now, can we back up a little though? Um, so the chief goes through ancient Santa Fe territory. I mean, it, it goes from Trinidad up around the big curves and all that. That's still clickety-clack rail, I, I think, the last time I was on. Yeah, for the most part it is, but it's uh, relatively smooth. Uh, you know, that dry, arid climate has protected that route um, for many, many years. As I said, it, there's no doubt it's worn. The rails have been reversed, you know, to reduce the wearing over the years. I, uh, some Colorado members, some of my fellow board members and I, and uh, some of our former supporters have walked a lot of that line. You know, we, we'd park on a crossing and then walk down the line and, you know, to inspect the rail. We're not railroad engineers, don't get me wrong, but, you know, you can detect when things are amiss. And it's, it, 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 quite frankly, it still looks to be in pretty darn good shape. So it's a definitely an issue that has to be addressed, but it's not urgent like the rail in uh, Kansas and Colorado where it was, you know, uh, it wasn't welded rail either, but it had heavy freight traffic on it as well. So it was subject to wear and tear more significantly. Plus it didn't have as dry and uh, arid a climate. Very good, yeah. Boris. Do you mind if I chime in here for a second? I'd chime in there, Rick. This now this is our this is our engineer. He pulls this caboose, and that's Rick White. <laughs> chime in there, Rick. Yeah, thank you, Forrest. Um, James, can you 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 used a term? You said reverse the rail, and is that switching the left rail for the right rail, or sort of? Yeah, yeah. Sort of? I get, well, look. I'm not a rail engineer, so, but it's making sure that the worn edge of the top of the rail is on the outside I rather see. than the inside. Now, you now, not being an engineer, I don't know quite how they do that. You could do it either <laughs> the way you just suggested or I you guess. could uh, reverse the rail. Turn know, it around. Uh, north and south. Either way, I suppose, somebody on the call, uh, engineer, might know how they do that. But, but that's one technique that saves a lot of money. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm, you know, God, not being an engineer, I'm, I'm out on thin ice here when I say yeah. this. But, you know, I could imagine it almost doubles the, you know, the length of uh, that rail or the, the uh, time that rail. The life. Serviceable. The so, yeah, the life of the rail. So, you know, those techniques can be done, particularly in an area where you could replace ties and then reverse the rail and you'd have, look, you have to remember something. Back in, up through maybe 1970, when Amtrak was formed, you know, you had high-speed Etchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe railroad trains, the Super Chief, the El Capitan running through there. Those trains on that track got up close to 100 miles an hour. So, you know, it's degraded down, but it's not unsafe. Wow. And it still runs at a pretty decent clip. And, you know, back, I, you know, BNSF would challenge me when I say this, but I'm guessing with our welded rail in Kansas and Colorado, you could run over 80 miles an hour if you needed to. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to. The FRA won't let you, but you could. So, you know, and someday maybe that's what we will be doing. You know, when we talk about front range rail, we talk about running it between 90 and 110 miles an hour. Anything faster than that would make it difficult to service the communities up and down the front range. You know, you'd have to yeah. stop and start and be accelerating way up to much higher speed. You'd have to break down. So 
We'll be happy if we can get one uh, 90 to 110. That's what they're doing in Michigan. That's what's planned between Chicago and St. Louis. And uh, that speed will make travel up and down our front range competitive with autos at the best time of day. Yeah. Obviously, it'll be competitive at rush hour, but I'm talking about, you know, off hours. You're right. Oh, well, that's very interesting. And while we're on that northern New Mexico, I was on the uh, Southwest Chief recently through that neighborhood, and it's a beautiful um, tri uh trackside sightings, the large ranches and stuff like that. I, I really enjoyed that section um, near Raton. And oh, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, we uh, back when we when we first started this campaign back, you know, at essentially the turn of the century, when you think about it, mm -hmm. we used to the way the trains are scheduled, the way the Southwest Chief is scheduled, it makes a great run between La Junta, Trinidad, and Las Vegas, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it meets, it meets the return trip from L.A. heading toward Chicago in Las Vegas. And it gives you about two or three, as I recall, two or three hours in Las Vegas. And then the train heading back up to Colorado comes through. So we used to do what we called the Las Vegas turn. And we would get our legislators and our uh, elected leaders from Congress and their staff and our local leaders, mayors, council members, and others, people who amazingly may not have ever ridden a passenger train before. And we would put them on that Amtrak train. The conductor would save half a coach for us. We'd put people on there, run them from either La Junta or Trinidad or both down to Las Vegas. The mayor of Las Vegas would entertain them you know, at the station, we'd serve them, you know, we would have, you know, sandwiches we made up for lunch and this kind of stuff. Uh, and then we would take them on a tour of Las Vegas, which is just a remarkable community, mm -hmm. you know, both historically and uh, now currently, you know, Teddy Roosevelt had his uh, Rough Riders reunion in Las Vegas, New Mexico, of all things, back in uh, 1903 or four, whenever that was. So that that trip took advantage of the scenery and that, you know, uh, that part of the route, which is really remarkable. Yes. It, it's slow. You have to go over Raton Pass, right. one of some of the steepest grades on the whole route. But being slow in that area doesn't bother people very much because it's so scenic and so beautiful that uh, people enjoy the trip. So that was a big way of getting these elected leaders to support uh, the train. Actually, Amtrak, you know, we were doing this in 2012, 2013, 2014. I don't know how many times we did it, but, you know, five or six times we did the Las Vegas turn. And the president and chairman of Amtrak started bringing his train out and starting putting putting the senators on the train and running them over the same route on the same kind of a trip. So it, it was a very powerful way to uh, educate people about how yeah. comfortable and safe and secure and beautiful passenger train travel is in the West. One of the other things I really enjoyed about that part of the trip were the historic signs that are still on the, you know, for train, train views. Um, I forget what exactly they were, but I was like, oh gosh, this is, you know, this is really, this is, this is America. This is what it's like. And uh, or what it was like, and yeah, very nice. Forest. Well, one of those signs is right at the tunnel going under the uh, over the pass, 
And it says something to the effect, highest point on the Santa Fe Railroad, mm-hmm. 7,800 feet or whatever it is. Don't quote me on that, but something yeah. close to that. Yeah. So, yeah, people people recognized what a beautiful route this was years and years ago, of nice. course. And, uh, you know, we used to start our briefings. We visited almost probably every town up and down the route in New Mexico, Colorado, and Kansas. Several of us would go out, meet the mayor, and then brief the city councils and everything else. And we would start our presentation with a kind of a recital of the, or not the Amtrak, the Santa Fe Super Chief, that train. And, you know, the train of the stars and the history of this route, which is really remarkable. And, you know, it really people would perk up and listen up and then we'd show some photos of the current route and what have you. So it was a lot of fun. And, and I think very effective back in the day. Very effective. You, you got excellent. Uh, press coverage, uh, really, all along the way, and oh, yeah. and, and opened opened the dialogue because my recollection is that Amtrak itself was very iffy about well about all long distance travel, and uh, particularly iffy about uh, that that train. Yeah, at that and, time, at that time, all long distance travel, to my knowledge, wasn't really at stake, but the Southwest Chief sure was. Yeah. You know, because yeah. of the track. And remember, they the BNSF Railway had offered to reroute the train way back when because their freight traffic on the Kansas-Colorado segment uh, of their route had diminished. It wasn't as heavy as it used to be. So they were in the, in the, in the midst of consolidating their freight traffic on what's they, what they call the transcontinental, which runs down, you know, through Oklahoma and on across New Mexico. And they were interested way back when in having the, the Southwest Chief rerouted onto that line. In other words, it would turn south at New, Newton, Kansas, and would not proceed through western Kansas, uh, southeastern Colorado, and northern New Mexico. And as soon as we heard about that, I think early in 2011, we started this campaign to uh, get the communities to recognize the what the loss of this train would mean to their economies, all we needed to do was tell them. And we got great reception across all those communities. Mm-hmm. And we had a little slideshow. I still have a copy of it somewhere that we would show. And uh, we got, resolu- we, I think we received 19 resolutions supporting keeping this train on its present route. And they came from all the communities we visited, as well as Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it came from the utilities and the major business corporations and tourist corporations along the route. So it was a great way to kick off that hearing. We got, as I mentioned earlier, we got that resolution from our legislature in 2012. And then we did our big summit on this in Pueblo, Colorado in 2013. And all those mayors came into Pueblo. We picked Pueblo because we had, we had noted that if you rerouted the Southwest Chief from La Junta to Pueblo and then down to Trinidad, you would pick up quite a bit more ridership. Uh, the train would make more money, and that would be another way to help protect this route. So we held it there. Uh, it was a great meeting. We realized then that we really had a campaign underway that would be powerful. And, you know, we had, by that time, we'd taken, had some legislative leadership from both parties on board. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it, it was a momentous case. It's, it, it's one of the model campaigns in the nation for, you know, protecting and preserving, sustaining, or improving rail traffic. 
and kudos, especially kudos to you, but kudos to Colorail for, for being a part of that. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. And and um, yeah, as you say, you showed you showed really how to do it, what what makes it work. And um, of course, that brings us to the, the current question is um, how will things how will the budget shake out for uh, long distance passenger rail as we look at uh, 2021 and 2022? Yeah, that's, uh, it's an open question. Uh... You know, the Biden administration has proposed a, an immense infrastructure package that would include, as I recall, something like $80 billion for rail. Uh, the Senate Republicans have uh, replied with a 600 or somewhere in that neighborhood billion dollar infrastructure package, but it only has $4 billion for rail. And that wouldn't be enough. And uh we support Amt we support a number of important measures that we hope will be adopted by Congress this year. They're not yet uh, completely under review, but we support a dedicated funding source for passenger rail, and that would be a trust fund. Passenger rail is the only mode that doesn't have a dedicated funding source. That means that every year Amtrak has to spend a lot of its political capital and its time fighting for an appropriation just to continue rather than like airlines and highways and others planning future expansion and repairs and what have you. So we hope that trust fund bill will pass. It's been introduced two times now, and we hope it'll be incorporated in what's known as the Surface Transportation Reauthorization Act. Which, which sets the stage for funding all of our modes of transportation. And uh, if we could do that, then Amtrak would have a five-year planning window that would get renewed every time the Surface Transportation Act got renewed. And they could start thinking about things like our Front Range Rail project earnestly, because they'd have funding. The second thing they've proposed that we support is creating a corridor fund that would pay upfront expenses, not all, but a significant amount of upfront expenses in new or improved corridors, of which our front range in Colorado is one of their top four uh, prospects. That's uh, very important to this state as it is to all states, simply because those upfront costs are the most difficult politically to obtain. People haven't seen rail service. They don't know what it might be like. Uh, the market hasn't been established. So it's very difficult to convince people to support new rail service. Amtrak would have federal funding and could come in and, and help us launch those services. It'd be extremely important to voters in Colorado and obviously just to the success of the project. So that's another issue we support. And then we support adequate funding just for Amtrak's current services. You know, uh, right now, you know, they've reduced dining services, they've cut costs here, there and everywhere. The trains aren't nearly as attractive as they used to be because they're uh, old. Some of the cars now date back to the late 70s, early 80s. Think about that. That's 40. These cars are 40 years old. And if you've ridden a train, an Amtrak train recently, you probably did hear a few rattles here and there and a few squeaks and everything else. And that's because these cars are are worn heavily. 40 worn. years old, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think some are even whole. I, I have somewhere I have a document that tells me the age of all the different classes of cars in Amtrak. I don't know where it is right this moment, but uh, it's pretty amazing that these cars are still running. Now they do protect safety, so you know they look after the trucks, you know, and all this, and make sure and the couplers and everything else, make sure the the car is safe. But they're unable to really improve the ambiance of the cars, the comfort, you know. And this is the same for coach and for sleepers. So. Uh, you know, they've had to retire a lot of these cars. Retire, uh, so. Well, my understanding is that in, in, in uh, not to interrupt here, but in, in Indiana, we have a large shop that uh, has been really kind of redoing, especially some of the heritage fleet. Is that still happening? Do we know? Or Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, uh, because of COVID and because of the reduced ridership and all the different funding problems, you know, that's been somewhat curtailed. It's known as the Beach Grove Shop, and Uh it is located in central uh, Indiana. It does a fantastic job. These cars are still on the rails simply because of that shop, to be honest with you, Forrest. You know, Uh if that shop weren't there, these cars wouldn't even be able to run. But as I said, the most important issues are maintaining their safety, as you might imagine, and I su- we all support that, but they don't have enough money to really refurbish cars, and they certainly haven't had enough money to acquire new cars. Now, they're in the process of acquiring new uh, single-level cars that are used predominantly in, in the East, and they have, they're in the process of acquiring 75 new locomotives, which are extremely important. These locomotives are as old as these passenger cars, and if you follow Amtrak, as, as, as I know you do, it's, it's not unusual to see a freight train engine on the front of an Amtrak passenger train because one of their engines failed. And it's happened on trains I've been on. And if it, it happened to be on the Empire Builder across Montana, we had to wait for six hours while they rustled up a freight engine to come and pull us out of the, you know, out of the middle of Montana. And it just happens all too often. It's a matter of age and you just can't, keep running machinery forever uh you know you just start have it becomes too expensive you know to maintain the machinery so we really support uh this additional funding for amtrak so they can acquire new equipment across their services and uh obviously that would be important to colorado as well uh james are these new engines are they um the acela engines no, no, no. This is not for the, these are new, uh, I think it's tier four or tier five. That's an air tier quality. Tier four, yeah. yeah. Tier four engines. They, I've been aboard one. They're just fantastic. They are, one engine can take the place of two now wow. on a lot of routes. And uh, they're over 4,000 horsepower. They, uh, they are uh, economical you know, much more efficient than the the current engines that you see on Amtrak passenger trains out West have to get a waiver from EPA because they pollute. Now trains, think about that. Trains are one-tenth as polluting as cars, yet some of their engines have to have a waiver from EPA because they create so much exhaust. These new engines have none of those air quality problems. They, they you know, they're, they're just remarkably uh, efficient. And you know, as, as we talk about these new engines, technology, uh, BNSF Railway is able to run a freight train from the Los Angeles terminal, ocean terminal, to all the way to Arizona on a battery-operated engine. A wow. 4,000-ton. They train. do that now. 
Yeah. They do that now. It's in, and they're contemplating, you know, whether or not to uh, acquire that service, uh, expand that service for their freight services. So, I mean, technology is evolving rapidly. You know, we hear about electric cars and we see that we've landed satellites on the moon and Mars and all this kind of stuff. The same kind of technological uh, advances are happening in rail power. Wow. It's a, it's a big change and it's coming. And there was a really interesting spread in uh, Trains Magazine actually about this. And uh, some, of these, some of these things actually reverse the payment schedules that the EPA sets out so that they're paying you to uh, somehow to, to buy one of these things. Well, your taxes are reversed, you know. So yeah. that's pretty exciting right there. Yeah, and, well, they and, subsidize uh, this technology, yeah, because that's an important way to improve air quality. So, yeah. uh, but, you know, we're not, uh, we're, it'll take us a long time to generate in Colorado to generate those kind of major advantages in air quality because we have to just get a front range service started, uh, run it affordably and develop the marketplace up and down the front range and then slowly but surely expand it. Uh, as the market develops, it, it, only after you get a much larger array of service do you start actually changing air quality. But at the front end, the fact is you're not doing any harm to air quality, and that's extremely important. Yeah, extremely important. And what we had a guest on the oh, uh, our engineer is giving us the one minute signal. Two well, minutes. the two minute signal. Let's. But well, all right, we've got several other questions here. Last week, we had on this very show, a, the gentleman who schedules all the feeder buses through this part of Southern Colorado. There are many more than I had ever known. Tiny little towns like Del Norte, Colorado, and so on, get a, a, a bus, a bus service, regular bus service. They, they all feed together to Pueblo, Colorado. And um, he is certainly aware that, that in Pueblo, very soon, you're, we hope you're going to be able to get on a bus that will take you across town. We, let's not get into the locals. But once you're in Pueblo, you could be very close to the Southwest Chief if, the, um, if that link were established, which the old Santa Fe Railway had. And boy, we're, on, we're in deep water here, but what's your impression? Do you, those tracks well, still you know, exist. One of the things on the commission and at Colorado's advocates, but on the commission, one of the things we always talk about and are concerned about is interconnectivity. We want a seamless system in the state of Colorado. And that includes not only the services, but the tickets. So our, our Department of Transportation here in Colorado is in the process of creating a system that will allow you to buy a ticket in Durango that will take you all the way to Fort Collins. I'm just making that up off the top of my head. Sure. sure, sure. You wanted to go there. And you would buy a ticket that would get you on a bus, maybe a bus thing or maybe a local bus, whatever it might be, would take you to wherever the next bus thing is. The bus thing would then take you to Pueblo. The, at Pueblo, you would board the train. The train would take you to Fort, Fort Collins. And eventually you could buy a round trip ticket and it would be one fare, one ticket, and it would take you all the way. The state of California is deeply involved in doing this. It's one of those things that, you know, a state like California can, can really pilot. And the state of Colorado is aware of this. And so these, these things are underway. 
And uh, you won't see them immediately because they take a lot of work uh, but, to get started. But, but it's not to interrupt, but to interrupt, our engineer is interrupting this. That's okay. We've got another whole segment to, to, to go. But for right now, oh boy, that's so exciting though. Yeah. One ticket, <laughs> get on in Del Norte, Colorado, and the, the world is yours. Let's just for a second take a few moments here back in the old caboose to uh, un unwind. I continue to take notes. This is has been a segment of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, interviewing James Subi, who is Subi is the he's the man. He's the president of everything in rail. Pretty much. We owe him a great deal. We, we, we want to keep going. All right. Let's say highball to this segment. So on the sound of three, we'll throw the fusee out the window and go a, a big good old highball for this segment. One, two, three, highball. Highball! Highball! Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.